Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the director for the territory, Alex Pretz. A floresta, os rios, é a nossa casa, onde a gente se mantém. Que o Uruel Awal é como se fosse uma barreira. Tudo desmatado. Ela é, para mim, no meu ponto de vista, o coração, não do Brasil, mas sim do planeta em geral. O sonho brasileiro de quem está vivendo aqui é ter seu pedacinho de terra para poder trabalhar, né? tirar ali o seu sustento. Produzindo alguma coisa, plantando para fazer nosso Brasil para frente. Eu mesmo falo, eu nunca vi nada de índio. Fala, ninguém nunca viu, não. É, só fala, cara. E o que eu fico revoltado é que a gente ainda é considerado bandido. Pessoas que, que atrapalham o país, entendeu? Desce no corpo, vai estar no rio. Eu tô ali, eu acho. O cara vai estar ali, não. Vai, 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 vai. Vai, vai, vai. sua terra. Mas, no meu ponto de vista, eu acho que eles querem mais do que a terra. Eles querem acabar com o povo indígena, acabar com os isolados. A gente não vai permitir que aconteça, não. Então, quando eu olho para o território, uma coisa que está gobsmacking para mim é que it is so cinematic from by doc standards. Uh, it's You, you manage to capture so much footage and you're able to ed- edit back and forth. Seems like there's a lot of coverage, kind of like it's a film. So what was the process? How many cameras did you have running at a given time? How did you make this look so damn cinematic? <laughs> uh, well, I'd been a cinematographer on other people's films for a while. Um, I shot on a film called When Lambs Become Lions and then was a, a DP on the first wave. And so had you know, learned my way around with some really talented directors. Um, And I think, you know, there's like the sort of visual aesthetics, but then there was also just this idea that we we needed to be there as things were happening. The whole thing had to be present tense. Um, And and that was one of the kind of guiding principles of of the whole production. Uh, From a more kind of technical standpoint, we we shot a lot on like wider primes with the indigenous community, trying to go for a more 
fluid, organic, um, you know, floating handheld aesthetic, and then tried to be a little bit more locked off, stabilized, and at longer focal lengths um, for the the settlers. And and part of that was, uh, you know, another director says this really well, but thinking about who we're looking at and who we're looking with and what perspective we're bringing into each of those spaces. And it felt like a lot of films about indigenous people and cowboys and settlers had really taken on the perspective of the settlers and gave you these mm -hmm. rich uh, portrayals of their lives and, and pretty flat, monotonous, silhouetted views of the indigenous people. And so just from a cinematography standpoint, that that was one of the, the things we wanted to bring into it. And then the sound design was a huge part of it, too. Um, we, we really wanted the forest to feel like a home. You know, not to have so much noise in it that it felt overwhelming or, or overbearing or harsh in any way. And so worked with our composer who actually came to Brazil with me and recorded sounds of different animals, sounds of an Uruwau bow and arrow releasing, uh, the sound of a gate closing, sound of a tree falling, and used all these different uh, elements instrumentally in her score so that tried to build something that felt like it it came from the ground up organically from the environment in which the film takes place rather than being imposed from some far-flung studio in another continent. Mm -hmm. um, and then also really working with that, taking those elements that, that she had recorded as a composer and giving them all to the sound design team, say, hey, can we use these same sounds, but treat them more like ambiences or, or blend the, the sound design and the score together in a way where you're not always sure um, which it is that you're listening to. There's not so much of a handoff between the different departments, but something that feels seamlessly integrated. Yeah, the sound's extraordinary. I was actually talking to Peter Albertson, your sound designer, uh, recently. Uh, I'm a big fan of his work, and he was telling me that basically, yeah, a lot of those scenes, you know, there's the production audio, but then everything else is things that was recorded either on set or with his team. It's it's astonishing to me because it's such a rich soundscape. So, um, yeah, Peter is a genius for for you know a first time director. Being able to work with somebody like him is just uh, a masterclass in what sound is capable of. It really expanded my understanding of how much storytelling you really can do with sound. You know, a a lot of it can come just through some some really subtle and and simple things. Not simple, but subtle and. Um, you know, quite complex things that that he's able to do. Now, unrelated to the sound, uh, you mentioned obviously showing the perspectives of the indigenous people and also the settlers. How the hell did you get <laughs> both groups to trust you and be so honest with you? Like that's, I mean, at some point you have the settlers being like, I mean, technically we are committing a crime right now. They say that on camera. And then obviously the indigenous folks, I'm sure it wasn't easy for them to trust you. I mean, to be embedded with them and all this. So how did you get the trust of those two groups? Yeah. One of the major tightrope walks of, of the making of this film was being on both sides of an active conflict in a way that felt personal and intimate. Uh, and I would say, you know, not radical transparency. We didn't go for that, but we had, uh, we, we really worked to create transparency within limits, I would say. So, you know, we would say we, we were open and honest with everybody we were filming with that, you know, there's going to be no narrator. Um, you know, we'll, we'll fact check things and we're not going to include anything that's patently false. 
but um, or, or present it as fact if it if it really is false. But we'll give you your moment to to speak your truth. And these settlers see themselves as the heroes of the story. They see themselves as the pioneers going out and creating something out of nothing. And they think they should be celebrated for doing that. And if only they could get a moment to to speak their truth, uh, people would recognize that. And so that was our social contract on on both sides. And you know, when we were filming with Bitate and Nadinia, we'd say, "Look, we're going to go film with the other side. We can't tell you who we're with. We can't tell you what what they're doing. We need you to trust that we're not doing anything that's that's going to hurt you. Um, but obviously, we can't tell you." what's what's going on over there exactly and so those those were the the limits i think that we had to keep as a team at some times i couldn't even communicate with other members of our team because i would be with the invaders and somebody mm. would be with the indigenous community so i would speak through a security focal point that would decide what information gets passed between uh the different teams operating in real time on the ground Right, because there's that moment where uh, you're with the indi- uh, the indigenous folks and they're going to the settlers and they're like, someone must have told them that we're coming. And I'm like, oh my God, this is weird. The fact that you have teams following both of them and you are not the someone. No, we were definitely not the someone. We we passed zero information um, between the different groups. Uh, but it's also important to note that the, the motivation to reach out to these settlers came from the indigenous community themselves that said, mm. look, we're up against this shit day in day out there are neighbors we know exactly who these people are they're operating with complete impunity and nobody's taking the time to to go and try to investigate them as the source of this conflict they're always talking to us as the recipients of it but but these guys will talk to you and when i started filming it was you know we had a different president in america and all of these settlers have a real admiration for for trump and you know these nostalgic visions of Brazil, make America great again. It's all kind of cut from the same playbook. And so uh, I was able to get access in a way that I don't think, you know, an indigenous cinematographer or or DP mm. might have been able to, to do. Yeah. So that kind of opens up the next question of what do you think now that Lula has been elected and Bolsonaro is out, what do you think is going to change? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's a great question. I, you know, he comes into power on January 1st, and he's made a lot of promises on the campaign trail that if he keeps would be a huge step forward uh, for indigenous people, for the whole planet, really. Brazil's a really divided country. Uh, he won by 2 million votes. In places like Rondonia, where Bitate and Nadinha live, 80% of people voted for Bolsonaro. So mm. in these frontier regions, the, the conflict still exists. If anything, it's it's more polarized there. At the federal level, there's 
hopefully good support for for strong environmental policies. The enforcement of those policies is really where where the rubber meets the road. Brazil, on paper, uh, constitutionally has great protections for the environment and indigenous people. There's just a complete lack of enforcement um, and defunding even of these enforcement agencies under Bolsonaro. And whether Lula is is able to get that back and how quickly uh, will be one of the main questions, I think, of his presidency. I'll also say, though, that we we got the film out. This is one of the big goals of our film was, was to get it out before the elections in Brazil. Mm. And thankfully, we were able to have a theatrical release in Brazil just three weeks before people went to the polls. So, oh, man. That, that was a, a thing I'm quite proud of in, in the making of the film. Yeah, well, it was very satisfying to see in the film, you know, as you're with these indigenous people, as they capture what they're dealing with and it gets out to the public. It was cool to see uh, that there was real time impact of the footage you helped capture uh, with the settlers saying, crap, we don't have the support of some of these government officials anymore because, you know, people are seeing. So it's cool that both during the production and after there was this real time impact. You know, as of as of the film's release, the epilogue says no one knows who killed Ari. Is that is there any update on there? The police have named a suspect and there's a lot of problems with this suspect. The suspect was already in jail for life. Mm. Um, and so it's not upending anybody's life to to have him be the the person who did this. The community does not believe that he acted alone. Um mm-hmm. And or that whoever killed him could have acted alone. And that's what the police originally said as well. And so there's there's a lot of contradictory narratives around this. The the main narrative that it feels like that the government is trying to push right now is that this had nothing to do with his land defense. It has nothing to do with the fact that he was indigenous and and trying to, you know, essentially say nothing to see here. And the community is, is pushing back and appealing a lot of these decisions, but it's still the tr- no trial has happened um, and they they haven't seen any justice. What was that like, you know, having being in a situation where you had subjects you've been following killed? I, how do you handle that? Does that make you afraid as a filmmaker? Tell me about that. Yeah, it was devastating. Um, I mean, the. I wasn't there when he was killed, which also just sucked on a personal level. I felt like horrible that I'd, you know, spent years filming with these everybody there. And I I just felt like I wanted to be there to to grieve with them um, just on a a human level to start. There was a local cinematographer who was there and able to capture some of those crucial scenes. But it was it was a really difficult period. and, And the aftermath of it, COVID happened just after that as well. And so it was it was really hard to you know uh, maneuver that whole thing it felt like the film was going to fall apart for a while um mm. just because the the security risks had gotten really high between that and then covid and then the emotional burden of of trying to talk about this stuff um was was really really hard and you know he he's the leader of their um uh, surveillance group he's a 32 year old guy he's a, a son he's uh it's a community of 150 people essentially a large extended family um and he had two kids he was a teacher in a local mm-hmm. school so the whole left by somebody like that you know a 32 year old guy is is huge in in yeah. a community of that size and it was really really hard for everybody yeah, I, I can't imagine, honestly. 
What do you, I mean, obviously I figured losing one of your subjects, both emotionally and logistically would be one of the hardest parts. Getting the trust of everyone I'm sure was also difficult, but what else would you say were some of the biggest challenges you faced? You know, I, if I'm being totally honest, I think like my, my own identity coming in as like a, a white American man was something I had to work really hard. Uh, you know, you can never over, it's not to overcome, but to, to work past my lack of understanding of indigenous culture um, and, and to try to build a film team that was able to operate on the terms of the community itself. You know, the Uruwau operate by consensus. So a member of each village has to come together and they sit and they talk in person before they can make any decision that affects the group. And everybody has to agree. It's very different mm. than a film team where you have directors and producers who make decisions yeah. and then assistant editors who carry them out. And, you know, I was used to operating at a faster clip than, than this community. And we really had to reorganize our whole film team around the, the principles, the organizing social principles of this indigenous group. And, and that was a hard thing to do. It was really worthwhile, I think, in the end, when you operate by consensus, when things do go wrong, like when Ari was killed, uh, there's no question that everybody's on the same page. Everybody's on the same page. There's there's nobody who's left wondering what we're doing or why we're doing it. And so I I grew to really understand and appreciate that that way of working. But it was it was definitely a challenge. I think you know just the log straight up logistics and our producers Gabriel Ushida and Will Miller who are on the ground handled keeping everybody safe in this volatile complex conflict with you know amazingly I, I was incredibly impressed by them. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your producers. I was intrigued to see uh, Darren Arnofsky's name attached to this. Tell me a little bit about his involvement in the project. Yeah, um, we are so <laughs> it's still whenever people say that, I'm like, God, I can't, I can't believe that's true. It's so <laughs> awesome. Um, I, uh, you know, I didn't study film. Um, I studied uh, interdisciplinary environmental science and philosophy, and my parents are both public school teachers. Um, I don't have a bunch of connections in the film industry built in. And so when we started out, you know, we didn't have, I went to Brazil the first time with a couple thousand dollars and a one-way ticket, came back with some footage I was really excited about, but it was always just one one foot in front of the other in terms of financing and everything. And so uh, I would take all of these meetings at like Sheffield Meat Market, Camden Film Festival meetings, um, IFP, you know, Gotham Week. Um, yeah. I met Darren's team at Gotham Week 2019, um, one of the first meetings like that that I had. And they just responded really well to the footage. We both had offices in Chinatown. They invited me in. I brought raw footage from my last trip and watched through it with them. And Darren talked about story inside and out. And when Darren came onto the project with Protozoa, he was the only produce, the only person on our film team who had ever made a feature film before. It was crazy. So he came on really, really early in the process um, and, and was super involved in helping us think about story, think about structure, pushing me to think of it more like a narrative film in many ways, as well as coming up with like ideas about how to finance it, uh, you know, encouraging me to keep all rights until the end so that we could try to make it independently and then and then sell the film at, at the very end which i'm so glad we were able to do and, and find that geo so yeah a total godsend 
Well, that's fantastic. And it will be very cool if uh, you both are nominated for Best Documentary this year. I've got my fingers crossed. It's one of my favorite docs of the year. So, Thank you, Will. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. It's been wonderful. Have a great rest of the time. Enjoy your trip down to L.A. And uh, best of luck in whatever your next project is. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hope to Mm -hmm. meet you in person at some point. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the director for The Territory here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Territory is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Documentary Feature. You have been listening to The Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.